This week, as we gather with family and friends to celebrate Thanksgiving, we often recall the familiar story of the pilgrims who sailed to America on the Mayflower and celebrated their first successful harvest in 1621 with a feast that became known as the First Thanksgiving. But what many may not know is just how significantly the weather shaped the pilgrims' entire experience— from their decision to leave England to their transatlantic journey to their very first brutal winter in the New World. Today, we are going off the radar and back in time to understand the role weather and climate played in this pivotal moment in American history. With the meteorological theme, of course, some people have been arguing recently that that this sort of great change in attitudes to the church is to do with the weather, to do with the little ice age. I'll talk to a historian to hear the accounts from the pilgrims on the Mayflower, as well as a climatologist to find out what tree ring data can tell us about that first winter in New England. And I'll share my personal connection to that very first Thanksgiving. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. To explore this intriguing but overlooked aspect of the Pilgrim story, we're joined today by author and historian Rebecca Fraser. Rebecca wrote a book called The Mayflower, The Families, The Voyage, and The Founding of America. As Rebecca will explain, the weather was a key factor in so much of this story. It changed the course of their travels, landing them in New England. She'll tell us where they originally had their sights set on and how the Little Ice Age in Europe impacted their decision to leave. Here's my interview with Rebecca. You wrote a book called The Mayflower, so you are the expert, the person to talk to about this. So can you give me, a, first of all, a little basic history on the pilgrims? Because I recently learned, I guess, in my limited uh, education, I thought they all just came from England, but there was there's kind of a more diverse background there, correct? Well, they were mainly English, but they'd, they'd gone to live in Leiden because it was a more liberal country in, in the Netherlands. And so some were Flemings, like... Um, Delanoy, who's the ancestor of um, Roosevelt, there's sort of there's some sort of Flemings coming, but the church established there, which has the Mayflower, is basically a separatist church from England, which then becomes a bit more international. But by and large, it's kind of from England. Gotcha. 
Okay, so why did they decide to leave England? With a meteorological theme, of course, some people have been arguing recently that that this sort of great change in attitudes to the church is to do with the weather, to do with the little ice age, to do with the 200 years of terrible harvest, which sort of gets started about 1300, but then the long 17th century, sort of really the end of the 16th century through the 17th, you get these really great, great hardship and anger, and then people become more independently minded. And this coincides actually with the Reformation. And there is a fabulous book by a historian called Philippe Blom, all about this called Nature's Mutiny. And it's sort of about the role of weather in sort of changes, this sort of the beginning of sort of modern history, really. Um, so he looks at, at, I mean, he's he's not the first, but it's the most recent book to look at changes which um, sort of made people think, well, priests aren't answering our questions. God is not really um, on our side. I mean, of course, in the pilgrims' um, uh, case, they believed they were a, a chosen people because of their knowledge of the Bible. But I think it's probably true that they – they're sort of, they were not doing well. England, if, if you were involved in the world trade, which a lot of them were, the beginning of the Thirty Years' War was kind of plunging everything into a depression. And so, so I think the little ice age is pretty important. Um, it's a sort of interesting background in that you, it's the first time you really get all these lovely snow scenes in Dutch paintings. They only painted snow scenes for a sort of period of about 10 or 20 years because there were, the winter went on so long. And this is kind of mid-17th century. So Little Ice Age had, had a huge effect on, on the way people looked at life. In the Little Ice Age, the temperature drops by two degrees, which we all know now how important that is um, when we know that actually just 1.5 degrees is needed to sort of tip us the wrong, the wrong way. What time of year did they leave the Netherlands? And what kind of weather did they experience when they cross the uh, the ocean? They leave the Netherlands in July. There's something called the Speedwell, which takes them from Holland to England, where they're going to pick up another boat because originally there were just there were two boats going, one being the Mayflower, the other one being the Speedwell, and then they have to hang around because their leader has published an attack on the English king and has to go into hiding. So everything which had been planned, they were planning to emigrate. They were excited by the idea of America. I mean, this is a time of travel literature. It's a sort of growth area for travel literature. People are reading books about the new world. I mean, um, and they're excited about it. And then um, William Brewster publishes this sort of broadside and he then has to go into hiding. And the war is about to restart between Spain and the Netherlands. And they've just decided they have to get out to England. But it's a rush. So they're not prepared in the way they should have been. And they arrive in England to Southampton, the port of Southampton. And then they have to wait from July to August for their leaders to reappear. They're poor. They need to raise money. The harbour masters of Southampton are exploiting them, so they are they are not in the best place in terms of planning. 
um, and these two ships are ready to go. And then they set out, in fact, sort of like six weeks after they arrive on August the 5th. For the first 1,500 miles, everything is just great. And they are on, although, well, they, they've turned back. They've all had to be decanted into the Mayflower because the Speedwell has sprung a leak. So then the Mayflower sets out again from Plymouth. And then pretty soon afterwards, it, it feels as if there's sort of weather coming up from the ocean and the seas start to what they call over, become overgrown. And the waves are 100 foot high. And then the mainsail cracks, the mast cracks. And, and if they can't make that work, sort of stick it together as it were, they're going to have to turn back to England. Um, and then they kind of come through and they suddenly hear birds singing and the sailors tell them that that is a sign of land. And it, but it could be 200 miles away, which it is, but it's a sign, birds, bird song is a sign of land. And then they, they get near, they sort of get to above Provincetown, what is now Provincetown, and they're going to go south and go on to Virginia because that's where there is a colony. And then they get alarmed because the seas are so rough. The Mayflower is not an ocean-going uh, ship. It's very small. It's really been used between England and France for transporting wine. Um, and no one on there except one person has crossed the ocean before. So they, they sort of think, I think it's safer to just go back to land. And then they land on what is now Provincetown, and they are all incredibly relieved. What was the date? When did they land in Provincetown? Depending on your calendar, but it's about November the 21st. I mean, it's round about the date of Thanksgiving. But they didn't stay in Provincetown. And did that have to do with the conditions of the weather? It does. And it's um, also to do with the fact that Provincetown is lovely, but there aren't any proper, there's no sort of real water supply. It's sandy. And there's also a problem because the 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 weather is getting much worse. The water is very shallow, and they're sort of walking back and forth to the ship. And meanwhile, the weather is closing in, and they're getting sort of their clothes are becoming iced, and they need somewhere to plant before they can't plant anymore. And, and William Bradford, who's who sort of writes the history of Plymouth Plantation, says that they're having to use their swords to to dig up the earth because it's becoming so frozen. So they've got to find somewhere they're going to settle. And that's when they sort of sail about on a, on a sort of small dinghy. And that's when they find Plymouth and they, they start unloading there. But it's, it's sort of all touch and go, particularly as from December the 1st, what, what had been lovely and they are all sort of excited and they're sort of washing their clothes on shore. The, the weather is just terrible snow. And then they start to be terrible deaths. And funnily enough, there were there was everything was really health-wise fine on the way over. And, that, and then they're up against New England winter in the most extreme way. Tell me about that winter and what they experienced. Because I think the narrative that like we grew up learning about was this very terrible winter. But now talking to like climatologists who look at tree rings they say that that winter was actually pretty average. Oh, how interesting. Well, I think they were just unprepared for what what they were going to experience. I think that was one of the problems. Captain John Smith, 
you know, who, who'd sort of been at Jamestown, had been on a voyage to New England twice, and he'd offered to come with them, and he'd lent them some maps, but they they really didn't know what they were up against. They they hadn't brought the right clothes, they hadn't bought um, fishing nets, and they hadn't bought corn. They had to borrow corn from the Indians, um, the Native Americans, and I think they were totally unprepared for everything. They they sort of didn't realize they were going to have to build their own common house and also that the sailors on the Mayflower were going to become very disagreeable and say, we want to go back to England. And actually, they all get sick too, so they don't leave till April. Um, but at first, they're saying, no, you can't live on the, the Mayflower. You're going to have to live outdoors before they've even really built somewhere proper to live. Scurvy, what we would now call scurvy, starts to sort of creepy and everyone gets pneumonia. Um, and then they're really very unwell and illness spreads like wildfire. There isn't proper shelter. So it's, it's, they are having to live, some of them are having to live in the open air. You know, a, it might not be a really harsh winter, but it is a, it is a winter with lots of snow and, and they haven't met the Native Americans yet. So they don't know about snowshoes. They don't know about anything. Yeah, I want to ask about that, the interaction with the Womp Dogs and what they learned about surviving winter from them and when that happened. Well, you have this terrible period, which of course is very famous from sort of December to March when the weather is incredibly harsh and 50% of the travelers of the pilgrims die, which is an enormous amount. How many were there total? 102. It's really a terrible situation. It, the, the sick are tending to the sick and they have to sort of bury people under, they, they can't mark their, their burial. They have to do it at night because they don't want the Native Americans who they haven't really met to know how tiny their numbers are. But on about March, sort of early March, the weather suddenly clears up mysteriously and birds start singing and they see a white fowl and then out of the forest walks this man called Samoset, and he says, hello, English. And um, he's from Pemaquid in Maine. Samoset is a friend of the famous Squanto, and then he introduces them to the Wampanoag, um, and everything gets better from there. So March is, is the turning point. But before then, it, it was a dire, dire situation. Can you take me through the first Thanksgiving and the, the real story there of what happened? The interesting thing about Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving, and, and we have a contemporary document, which is written by Edward Winslow, describing it. And he's not writing it for propaganda purposes. He's writing to a friend. He just describes the fact that that we give, that we decide to have a sort of feast to give thanks for our harvest because it was really touch and go if they were going to have a harvest at all. And he writes that um, Massasoit and um, 90 braves come and feast with us and they bring us five deer and we have a, a, a marvellous time. And that's the first Thanksgiving. So it is very, it is very um, inclusive. It is both sets of people in that area feasting together. Um, so, th so that's sort of a very nice thing to read because um, 
Thanksgiving is such a very inclusive um, feast today. And and so so that's a genuine starting point. I think that the the first year of uh, the pilgrims being there, they are extremely reliant on the Wampanoag, and um, they have people living in their village. They get on very well. They journey to see uh, Massasoit. Edward Winslow, in due course, would actually cure him of an illness. I mean, it is very. It's a very symbiotic relationship. So so I think that's really, it may have sounded mythical before, but I think that is certainly true, that there, there is a close relationship between the two peoples. So, so I think that the spirit of Thanksgiving is very early. I mean, it is as early as 1621. Um, of course, it has been sort of altered for political purposes or or sort of changed, but I I think the 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 kernel is very the 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 truth is is right there very very early on. Can you tell me the process of how this story was pieced together and how historians gather this information and know that there was a storm and they replaced the mast with this, or the first winter felt like this, or the conditions at Plymouth were like this? How how do you gather that information? In the case of the Pilgrim Fathers, we're very fortunate because they were writing everything down for their investors in London in order to get more money for their colony. They needed support from London merchants, and the London merchants needed to see that there was a point to their money being ploughed into this ship, that they were going to find fur, find fish, um, and that they were going to, there were going to be returns they were going to send wood back to them. Um, so so they write it all down. And they also, um, Edward Winslow and William Bradford both, they, they write a famous account of the voyage. So that's where we get it on. It's like a diary, but it is also for the benefit of investors. And it's also a celebration of, of what they're doing. Um, they are excited that they are going to be this sort of patriotic outpost of England, that they're going to be a Protestant colony. And then we have letters written back to people at the, at the same at time, you know, um, relations telling people what happened, like this letter from Edward Winslow. So through contemporary documents, you can piece together what's what we would consider to be authentic and and as opposed to the myth. And there is an enormous amount of material which can be used. And also William Bradford himself writes this very long book of, of Plymouth Plantation, which I'm sure most school children in America have read some of it. And that that really it's it's about the spirit of the Pilgrim Fathers. So it's it's both a fact, very factual account about their origins in England, about their time in Holland, but and but it's also about their wishes and what they were trying to be. So it's a moving document, but it's also Shop full of facts. I mean, in a, in a, a fabulous way. So, so luckily, there are lots and lots of contemporary documents for what has become a very mystical uh, event. I'm curious about kind of the what ifs when it comes to weather and where they landed. And I, I grew up in New England. There's like a lot of Puritan roots there. So, how do you think history would have been altered if 
they had not encountered bad weather and had continued their journey and landed in Virginia. How would New England history have changed? How would American history have been different? Can you venture any guesses there? Well, I'm not sure they would have got on very well with the people in Jamestown. I mean, they might have thought they were quite kind of, um, they weren't as serious as they were. And in fact, one of the reasons they wouldn't allow the Virginian settler Captain John Smith to come with them is they thought he wasn't serious enough. So I think I think that gives you an indication of there might have been clashes. On the other hand, they they might have actually had a a less traumatic time. Having said that, a two years after the Mayflower lands, there's this terrible massacre in Jamestown. A quarter of the of the um, population is wiped out by a Native American attack. So they kind of dodged a bullet at the same time. And in fact, one of the secretaries of, of Jamestown, um, someone called John Pory, visits a Plymouth Plantation and is very impressed that the Native Americans and the English are getting on so well that there's someone called Hobbamock living there. Um, and he contrasts that favorably to what's going on in, in Jamestown. So I think it would be sad if New England had, had not happened. Of course, John Winthrop would have got there himself a little later, 10 years later. Is there anything else you want to add about weather and the pilgrims or their journey? I think one thing which was terrible for them was that I, when the snow set in, I think they, were, they weren't explorers. They, they were sort of quite ordinary people and they were used to Holland and they were used to England, which is a much more temperate climate. And I think... When the New England winter swept in and you just have white skies, I, I think it was quite frightening. And in fact, William Bradford's wife died. She was found floating by the side of um, the Mayflower in Provincetown. And now, people don't like to say she committed suicide, but she certainly died. And she left a little son in Leiden. And maybe it was just too much for her. It was just it was too stressful, this weather, this sort of extraordinary weather and no houses around. So I think that was quite alarming. And then what happens is after March, you have these wonderful descriptions of how lovely the countryside is and how happy they are and how fabulous it is. And in fact, none of the pilgrims return to England. They, they, they are perfectly happy. After, after a traumatic first year, they get used to it and they are excited by the new world. As Rebecca and I spoke about, that first winter at Plymouth may not have been as extreme as previously thought. I spoke to Carrie Mock, a historical climatologist at the University of South Carolina. He looked up tree ring data from the winter of 1620 and 1621 and while the precipitation may have been slightly above average, there's nothing to suggest an extreme amount of snow that winter. Of course, as Rebecca mentions, a regular New England winter can be quite harsh anyway, especially for a group of sick, unprepared settlers. After I spoke to Rebecca, I remembered my aunt telling me that we are direct descendants of a family on the Mayflower, the Warrens. So I sent Rebecca my lineage, and she told me that my ancestress, Elizabeth Warren, was a formidable, extraordinary woman, and there's a large napkin woven in Amsterdam in the Pilgrim Hall Museum, which belonged to her. 
She even wrote about Elizabeth in her book, stating that the Plymouth Colony records relate that Mistress Warren was honorably buried. Having lived a godly life, she came to her grave as a shock of corn fully ripe. If you want to read Rebecca's book about the pilgrims, you can find it just about anywhere, including Amazon and Barnes and Noble. It's called The Mayflower, The Families, The Voyage, and The Founding of America. Off the Radar is a production of the National Weather Desk. Make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. New episodes publish every Tuesday. If you know someone that's interested in American history or climate history, please share this episode with them. We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show and give me some ideas for future episodes. You can also find me on social media. Reach out if you have a topic idea. Special thanks to Rebecca Fraser for wonderful storytelling and to Carrie Mock for his tree ring data. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.